0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to ESPN's Formula One podcast. History was made or equaled today in Turkey as Lewis Hamilton wrapped up another Formula One championship, his seventh matching Michael Schumacher's illustrious record, one that one day we never thought would be broken, but he is definitely on the verge of doing that if he continues his dominance come next year. I'm Alexis Dunez, as usual, here with Lawrence Edmundson and Nate Saunders. We'll be walking you through all of the excitement that we saw. This entire weekend in Turkey, guys, because it felt like quite an eventful weekend from, you know, wild practices to the cars looking like Bambi on ice at one point. Lewis Hamilton spoke of his struggles. He ended up having to start sixth on the grid, but came back to to win. And then some pretty surprise people up there on the podium with Sergio Perez there at number two, but Sebastian Vettel at number three, back where many people believe he belongs on the podium. I'm sure a lot of people would have loved to see him win again, but it was very fitting to see him there congratulating Lewis Hamilton too on his record or his record equaling moment. So guys, um, were you not entertained?
1: I really was and so good that Lewis won the title with a victory. I think he's won four of his championships, four of the seven, without finishing on the podium. And so to yeah to take it in real style and with a race that was thrilling to watch. I mean, if you just look at the standings now and you see Lewis Hamilton 31 seconds down the road, it looks like, oh, just another standard uh, 2020 F1 race weekend. But it wasn't. It wasn't at all. It was anything but that. And uh, yeah, he was really made to work hard for it and showed all the talent that he has and uh, prove to us all exactly why he is a seven-time world champion.
0: And I mean, it's just one of the things that we do keep talking about, because when it comes to records, when it comes, I think a lot of us have already accepted the fact that Lewis was going to not only match Michael Schumacher's records, but go on to absolutely obliterate them. And and the sky is his ceiling, really, and truly, given the fact that he even said that he feels like he's just getting started in his career and obviously doesn't seem to show any signs of of slowing down, Nate. And that's definitely what the rivals would not be wanting to hear.
2: Yeah, I think we've probably teased it a little bit over the past couple of weeks that maybe Lewis might walk away at the end of the year. He certainly opened that question up after the last race. But yeah, from what he said after the race, he's got no intention of doing that. And I think you're right, Alexis. You know, if anyone listening to that would have been like, wait, what? You're just starting? Like, I thought you were winding stuff down, you know? Um, I think anyone in F1, assuming he signs that contract, it seems like a sensible bet to put him winning an eighth title. Um, But yeah, I mean... We've been saying it, we said it when he went past Schumacher, you know, where does this guy, where does it finish for Hamilton? You know, when does he stop racing? And I think that's now the question is, you know, how many is he going to win? How many races is he going to win? How many championships is he going to win? But yeah, to hear that after, I think um, it must have sent some alarm bells ringing for the likes of Verstappen. I think they've got time on their hands, but you know, F1 drivers, they're quite impatient guys, you know, they want to win now, so... If I heard that, it would have been quite demoralizing. Um, but but then again, I think everything he does is quite demoralizing for anyone else. You know, I feel sorry for Bottas hearing that, getting out of the car after that race and then hearing Lewis say, hey, I'm, I'm only just getting started. He must think, wait, what? <laughs> you, you mean there's better than this?
0: I was about to say they're probably strapping in and expecting to see how they can um, prolong the career at least until they're 40 to try and try to even compete with the numbers that we know Lewis is probably getting ready to to put up there on the board but I suppose as we always say that we never truly appreciate these things until they've had some time to sink in they've had a couple of hours to sink in for um Lewis and now his seventh championship but I guess in recent reflection and reflecting on the season um Lawrence we'll start with you first what um what's impressed you the most because again you know I've spoken to Nate too off camera and we've spoken about how the fact that even today it sums it up the fact that um he had to start from the back of the grid uh, for further down from, and he would have expected, you know, he had to override Bono in a bit. He had to manage those tyres perfectly, but yet he did it so effort, not effortlessly, but so perfectly as Lewis Hamilton so often does.
1: That's been true of a number of races this year, even the slightly boring ones like Spain, that performance was really impressive. The same was true in Portugal. So I think the most impressive thing is that he is continuing to put in these performances which slightly defy belief, and he is now a seven time world champion, so he 's equal with Michael Schumacher. but as nature said, like you 'd be very brave to bet against him taking his eighth next year and Toto Wolf was talking after the race, Toto Wolf, of course, is a Mercedes team principal, and he was saying how he sees the partnership going on for a number of years now and he didn't want to put a number on he didn't want to say when a deal would be secure but the impression he gave was that you know this is going to go into 2022 which is when we'll see a rule change and a big challenge uh, to Mercedes dominance and uh, yeah it it seems like it's there to say so the fact that Lewis looks like somebody who is either at his peak or building up to his peak still at the age of 35 with seven world championships uh, is is really impressive and um, the other thing is his motivation. You know, We've seen with lots of drivers, sometimes the motivation starts to go as, as they hit their 30s. But uh, Lewis still seems motivated. And he's found new sources of motivation. So it's no longer just, I want to be winning races. I want to be the world champion. You know, He wants to bring about change in the world. And he said after the race that he realizes that sport, Formula One, his position, uh, doing that, inspiring people, is one of the best ways he can do that. So. Uh, I think he's building this platform and will to do so over the next few years in Formula One so that when he leaves, when he eventually leaves, uh, he'll have that there as well to continue uh, kind of fighting the fight that he's fighting away from the track as well, which, which is incredibly impressive. But yeah, the fact he's using that as extra motivation to get the job done in F1 suggests to me that he's going to be around for a little while longer and there's no sign whatsoever that his performances will tail off.
0: I mean, 2020 has just been an unprecedented year for all of us, really, much less for sports, you know, and a tough one. Um, At the least where we've seen a lot of athletes and just people being challenged in ways that we never thought that we would be challenged. And um, we were wondering how this kind of season was going to affect the drivers. Um, Nate, the fact that Lewis just still was able to do what he does, if it wasn't, you know, the crazy year that's been going on. and, And seemingly like he just gets in his own zone. He knows how to manage himself. He knows how to do it. What's impressed you, I guess, the most about Lewis's performances this season?
2: I think it is just that is that there's so much going on around the track. I think he would have been forgiven if there'd been some, you know, some missteps or some bad races, or, you know, he'd come in and I don't know, maybe his focus had been elsewhere. You know, there's so much going on around the world and Lewis is in kind of a unique position and, and quite a, I suppose, quite an unenviable, unenviable position when you look at it is he's the only black driver there. Um, and so that question is always put to him and it's been put to him his whole career. And now he's, you know, he's almost like the spokesperson, the only person in F1 who has ever asked those questions. And, you know, I think after months and months of that, it must get frustrating. But he's managed to, he's always managed to give really good answers on, you know, on, especially on the anti-racism stuff. Um, But I think he's found his voice on a lot of other issues as well. So that's been quite impressive. And I think that we've seen this since he joined Mercedes, that the big thing about McLaren was that you know, he didn't feel like he was his own person at McLaren and Mercedes, Toto Wolff, Niki Lauda, they gave him that freedom. They said, you can go and do what you want away from the racetrack, but you come, you know, you come ready to win when you come to racing. Now, in lockdown, he said he's not really been able to do much. He's not been socializing a huge amount this year, but he's obviously still been doing a huge amount. He said there's been a lot of Zoom calls with Formula One, talking to them about different initiatives. And I think that the fact he's been able to be so passionate about one thing on, you know, on the sidelines and still keep his keep his racecraft up at The level we've seen um i think it's really impressive because often you know people say oh you should keep politics out of sports or whatever but you do sometimes see people that take that stand it can detract you know the criticism they might get from it or the attention they get from it it can detract from what they're doing in their in their sport and for lewis that hasn't happened so i think this has got to be a standout championship for him just given what's going on around the world and around him um so yeah i I think that's been super impressive
0: I mean, interesting point, Lawrence, that Nate brings up there, just the fact that we know time and time again, when Lewis crosses the finish line in first place, um, a lot of the times, of course, he steals the headlines, but he constantly says, thanks, guys, couldn't have done it without you. And, you know, sometimes we will think, oh, that's cliche. Of course, he's going to say that, blah, blah, blah. But really and truly, as Nate just said, I mean, you think of how a year like this year or just the ups and downs of being a professional athlete um, can break so many people or or the fact that a lot of people believe that, you know, Lewis is his own individual person, doesn't like to listen to other people. But it's truly a massive team effort that, you know, how much credit do you give to those behind the scene, like Toto Wolff and Cota, in the part that they've played in having Lewis Hamilton become the Lewis Hamilton that we see today?
1: Yeah, from a sporting perspective, they're, they're essential. And But the thing is, you can't have one without the other. And a number of people have said this at Mercedes over the last few weeks is that, Uh, yes Lewis is winning because he's got this wonderful car but he's been a key element in creating that wonderful car and developing it uh, in pushing the engineers to the limit and they have this wonderful situation at Mercedes where they know that the car they produce will be driven to the absolute maximum uh, will be driven consistently to that point and if it's good enough in Lewis's hands it's going to win a world championship and there's no, um, you know, there's nothing that's going to stop him. There's no other driver on the, in Formula One right now who can better him. And that is a wonderful thing and a wonderful kind of symbiosis that they have that allows them to keep pushing forward and forward and forward. And that's why we're in this position now. And it's hard work as well. You know, it's it's, it's easy to look at the Sunday result and say, well, Lewis, you know, relied on huge amounts of natural ability. But again, you talk to the people behind the scenes and they talk about, how hard he works with the engineers, how much time he puts into it. And, uh, and and that's a big part of it. And then if you look at Lewis going forward and what he's hoping to achieve, um, I think there were a lot of people that felt that maybe now would be a good time or over the next couple of years would be a good time to switch to another team. This time last year, we were talking about how going to Ferrari would be this wonderful way to end his career and everything. But I think that whole perception has changed because what he's achieving with Mercedes uh, on track is is the result of all this hard work and to throw that away would would seem almost like a a shame and then beyond that he wants to work with mercedes um on greener technology and things like that and also he wants to work with them to drive social change the fact the car is black this year was was an idea that came from lewis was put to the mercedes board and then was agreed upon as a team to go forward and was agreed as a as a good kind of symbol to uh, show to the world that it's time that we you know looked inwardly especially in motorsport to ask why there isn't greater diversity so that um has been massively impressive and to build yourself into that position now um i think lewis realizes that he's done a huge amount of work both on and off the track this year and over the next few years he can really build on it and expand that and get everything he can from it so i think that's why it's quite exciting as well you know and there's Obviously this feeling that Mercedes and Hamilton winning all the time doesn't make for that exciting a championship. We've got three races left to run, which, unless you're an F1 fan, you know there's limited interest in because they're essentially dead rubbers. But at the same time, um, you know if you look at what they're achieving as this kind of collective, um, it's, it's mightily impressive, and, and hopefully there's more than just winning races to it as well. and I think that's certainly what Lewis is focusing on. And uh, I think that's fascinating to watch and quite inspiring to watch as well uh, for everybody else who's, uh, who's, who's seen him perform on the level he is.
0: Well, I mean, after this um, championship win for Lewis, I know a lot of the questions throwing around um, to Toto Wolff was um, how hard is this going to make contract negotiations? Because, of course, we all know he is still yet to put pen to paper. Um, Toto did kind of rubbish those claims. I said it's not like they feel cornered or anything. But you guys, you know, were um, in some of the press conferences after the race. What was, um, I guess, some of the reaction like from uh, um, those that were closest to be able to, to see the feet?
1: Yeah, I think away from the TV cameras, maybe uh, Toto could joke a bit more because he said to us, oh, it's going to be a very expensive contract now as a result of this seventh title. But of course, you know, we all knew this seventh title was coming. So nothing's really changed from yesterday to today. Uh, But it's certainly um, a reminder of, of, you know, um, the star power that Lewis Hamilton has and all the things we've just been talking about are all wonderful assets to the Mercedes brand as well, which let's not, you know, kid ourselves is in Formula One to sell road cars, ultimately. So um, all of that uh, is key. And yeah, we interested to see what comes out of it. And also, while we we never really get a solid um, handle on the numbers involved and people take punts at how many tens of millions it is, but we never know for certain. But the length of the contract, we will know, obviously. Yeah. And um, that will be the interesting one because that will give a real <laughs> indication of of what Lewis intends to do over the next few years. and Um, how much he thinks he can achieve in F1 and uh, also, yeah, how how dedicated he is. And the funny thing is, is almost race to race, week to week, interview to interview, that seems to change a little bit with Lewis. And, you know, we get some signs like in Imola where it sounds like, oh, he's about to retire and then other uh, weekends like today, it sounds like he's going to keep going for another 10 years. So um, I think that'll be an interesting thing to see, see where that comes out. And to an extent, how much Mercedes can convince him that, staying in F1 is a is a good idea and the right place to be because uh, I can't see Mercedes wanting any other driver in their car, um, ideally for them for the next five years or so, but certainly for the next three years, Dan Lewis. So yeah, I've been to see how those negotiations play out. Um, and Toto, I think was saying that he doesn't want to, he was asked whether he would get a contract signed before Bahrain, before Abu Dhabi. He doesn't want to put a length of time on it, but of course, something needs to be done before the start of next year. Uh, otherwise, he'll be out of contract and, and driving for free, which Lewis uh, won't be keen on. So um, I'm sure we'll get something before the end of this year, uh, some answers to those questions. It says a lot about the Mercedes and Lewis relationship as well, about how calm they
2: both are about this. Because I was thinking the other day, you know, if this was, let's say this was like Ferrari, you know, we, we saw how they used to be with Alonso, even the way things have gone with Vettel. Having a driver not signed this late in the year, you know, a lot of other times you'd have leaks like, oh, you know, Mercedes are interested in this guy. Mercedes have opened up talks with Alonso, but we haven't had any of that. You know, there's none of this behind the scenes of like, oh, we're gonna, you know, Mercedes are actually making a a plan B to go for this guy or whatever. They're like, no, we want Lewis. Lewis is the only person that we want. And you know, Lewis is like, look, I'll I'll do it in my own time. I've got no rush. So I think it's quite it's quite nice to see that because it's not always the way in sports. You know, you you sometimes get, I, I suppose, a lot of different. A lot of different politics involved in it and the fact that they're both you can tell that Toto and Lewis at some point are going to sit down and have a, you know just a very honest discussion which they always say they do have with their contracts um, and I kind of respect that and again it goes back to what Lawrence was saying about his value in the team just how high that is you know he's seen in such a high regard I don't think they're even thinking about who else could replace him if they would need to at this point.
0: Yes, indeed. Well, seven world championship titles for Lewis Hamilton. We still have plenty more to talk about and we're actually working on a Lewis Hamilton special that will be coming your way hopefully this week. So definitely stay tuned to that where we'll definitely get more um, reflection on exactly what Lewis Hamilton has achieved throughout his career, both on and off the track. I know that these boys definitely have some interesting stories, I'm sure, that we will take a little trip down memory lane and, and talk about um, a lot more. But now let's continue with what we saw in Turkey. Of course, Lewis Hamilton taking all the fireworks and the headlines there. But what really took the headline um, after qualifying was that Lance Stroll got his maiden pole. And with that Racing Point car and the way how he was going after quite a few laps, um, I remember I was looking at, at Nate and I was about to say, this is looking like Lance Stroll's Race to lose and the way Sergio Perez of course was going and we don't doubt his quality it's still baffling to know that he's without a seat come next year but he definitely helped his case I'm sure this this time but overall is that how you guys saw it after the start that Stroll had that it was racing points to lose?
2: Yeah definitely it looked I mean if the conditions had stayed like they did at the beginning on the wet tyre I think racing point really looked like the team that were way ahead it was when the conditions changed and it became more of an intermediate track it was even a track ready really nearly for slicks at the end of the race that they dropped back and they made that pit stop and we can talk about that in a bit more detail but yeah stroll i've got to say you know until his race kind of unravelled really impressive weekend on saturday you know getting that pole position um i think there is a question to be asked about how much he cracked under that pressure you know when perez perez was catching him and when albon and lewis were catching perez i think that there was a um you could definitely see Stroll's pace kind of dropped off, but yeah, at the beginning it looked like he was just going to drive off into the distance. And, you know, it was going to, be, because we were all talking about, is this going to be like Canada 2011? And then Stroll was 10 seconds up the road within a few laps. It was like, okay, he's just going to, he's just going to dominate a bit like Vettel in, uh, at Monza in 2008, you know, with his first win. So the fact that he then finished ninth, I think is pretty crazy. Cause on paper, you wouldn't think Stroll had any factor in the race really, but he was obviously leading it for the first half. So um, yeah, pretty crazy turnaround. And, I think he was, he, he seemed pretty baffled by how it all played out at the end of the race. You know, he was pretty, pretty stunned by it all, as you would be, I suppose, if you were leading and suddenly you were, you
1: know, you were fighting guys
2: for ninth position at the end
1: of the race.
0: Lawrence, what did you make of it?
1: So this race was all about tire temperature and whether you could build it up and then how that was reacting with the circuit and Love the setup of nerdy. the cars. Yeah, so it, <laughs> it's, it's, it's probably gonna require a little bit of nerdiness. Um, <laughs> So um, I, left,
2: I left all the nerdy stuff
0: alone. Oh, we can only on leave it to Lawrence. But this is where Lawrence <laughs> just imparts some serious wisdom <laughs> as to what really should have gone on and what didn't. So please take the stage, Lawrence.
1: But <laughs> well, it, It's slightly regurgitating what I've been told by um, engineers and so on. But essentially, uh, what it came down to was getting that temperature in the tyres. So we saw in qualifying, um, Racing Point were particularly good at that. They got it going very quickly. Red Bull were good at it. They got it going very quickly and that came down to a lot of setup choices and to an extent uh, just the natural characteristics of each car um, mercedes meanwhile usually one of their greatest strengths is how well they're able to manage the tires over a race distance well in this case that became their weakness in qualifying and when they needed to get the life into the tires when they needed to build the temperature especially the rear tires uh, they really struggled. And a lot of people during the race, I heard talking about DAS and things like that, and how um, you know, that should have helped them. Well, what one of the engineers told me was that that was like trying to heat a house with a candle. You know, it, was, it had such a small effect compared to what you're trying to generate and what you need to generate in those tires. That really it's a much more global thing in the way you have the car set up and the characteristics of the car. So Racing Point had that. And so early in the race, when you needed tire temperature straight away, they got it and they went. But as the track dried, as Nate said, as as the conditions changed, that went away from them. And so um, then it was really about being kind to your tyres because what you had was this dry line appearing, which probably would have allowed a team to gamble on slicks. No one did, but it was probably just about there. But it would have been a real risk and immediately off the racing line as well, there was very little grip. So any attempt to overtake would have would have been particularly difficult. But... Um, yeah, when you're on that racing line, that dry racing line, you need to look after tyres. So all of a sudden, all of Mercedes' um, strengths came back to them. So what had been a weakness at the start of the race then turned into this almighty strength. And Lewis Hamilton was made, made, uh, made a set of intermediate tyres last 50 laps. Uh, and as we mentioned earlier, they were pretty much bold when they got back to Park for May. So they were essentially a set of slicks. But... His ability to uh, to nurse those, um, which is partly down to the way the car treats them, it's partly down to his exceptional talent, uh, was the difference in the second half of the race. And at that point, when Racing Point took on new tyres, and they had these big kind of uh, soft tread blocks on the intermediate tyres and the new intermediate tyres, and they just overheated them, and the you know tyres started tearing themselves apart. So. Um, that's what everyone was trying to avoid in the second half of the race. And that's why you saw this race of two halves. It was purely down to the track conditions and how each car was set up to deal with them. So uh, as much as Stroll and Perez were slightly flattered at the start of the race, uh, it then went the other way. But having said that Perez did a great job because he held on to second place um, from the two Ferraris at the end.
2: What's interesting is that Stroll didn't want to pit, did he? We Mm. heard that on the radio. He said, I don't want to come in. And the team, it sounded like originally had kind of heeded that call from him, but then he came in and pitted. And as it very quickly became clear was that was the wrong call. Um, And Perez, like Lawrence said, stayed out. And um, I wonder where, I wonder if both racing points, you know, Ferrari came pretty strong at the end, but I wonder if both racing points would have been, been there on the podium at the end instead of just the one had Stroll stayed out. I don't know what state his tires were in, but it sounded like he was pretty skeptical about making that change over. So again, you know, two races in a row where, Racing Point have made a call that it's, it's very easy for us to sit in hindsight and say, yeah, this costs them. But, you know, at Imola, like it was Perez's podium, so he, he was the one who benefited today. But, yeah, they potentially cost having both guys up there.
1: But it's such a tough call because the reason Racing Point did that was they looked at Leclerc, who changed tyres on lap 30, went to a second set of intermediates, and all of a sudden was the fastest car on the track. And we know that Ferrari isn't the fastest car. We know it's not as fast as the racing point. So when they saw that, the initial reaction of not just racing point, but a lot of the field was, hey guys, got to stick another set of the intermediates on. But it seemed that the later you left that call, the greater risk you ran of kind of destroying the tires when you finally got them on the car. And then, you know, again, it was this element of how each car was set up, how each car was treating its tires. And the Ferrari actually just seemed to be particularly good throughout the race. You know, we saw Vettel looking very good. Lewis couldn't get past Sebastian Vettel for a long part of uh, the early part of the race. So, um, yeah, it was Stroll's decision, or not Stroll's decision to pit, but Racing Point's decision to pit was based on what Ferrari were doing earlier in the race. And we saw a similar thing with Verstappen. You know, he went into the pits for a new set of intermediates and just didn't get the reward from them. And I think it was was because by the time that those tyres had gone on, uh, the track conditions had dried that a bit more and it was, whereas Leclerc was able to wear them down a bit early on but still have the benefit of fresh Inters on a damp track, by the time that Stroll did it, the track was dry enough that it was just destroying the tyre rather than wearing it at that kind of manageable rate that Ferrari had. So, so difficult to tell and all about just being on the right tyre at the right time, bit of gut feel. And I guess, yeah, they should have listened uh, to Stroll on that one. But hey, who knows? You know, we saw how close Ferrari got to uh, Perez at the end. You know, Stroll would have been in that same position. And had those tyres worked when they'd gone on Stroll's car, then he would have stayed ahead of the Ferrari. So it's, it's a real hard one to call. And I think Racing Point probably did the, I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, they did the wrong thing. But probably at the time, with all the information they had to them, to split the strategy was probably the best thing and they put Stroll on what looked like the strongest strategy at the time. So no surprise, they put their lead drive on what looked like the strongest strategy, and Perez took the gamble. And, you know, as well, there was talk of rain in the last two, three laps. Mercedes were ready in the pits for Hamilton. Hamilton overrode that course. So there was so much going on. A few more drops of rain, it could have gone another way. A safety car it could have gone the other way. So, yeah, just bad luck for Stroll at the end. But I think... You know everything that stroll did early in the race, and everything that he did on Saturday still deserves a bit of credit because um, you know he put in one of the better performances we 've seen throughout his career and for a driver that we 've knocked lots of people knock. Mm-hmm. I think that um, answered a few of his critics
0: yeah, I was going to say I think he should at least walk um, walk away from this weekend with you know a little hair on his chest, feeling like you know he did he was able to conquer some some of the criticisms that he definitely has been getting recently. Quickly, just before we move on to Sergio Perez, I mean, I know just now listening to Lawrence talk about the tires and the track, I know that earlier on this weekend from Friday and Saturday after what we saw and some of the slippery conditions and whatnot, um, there was a lot of talk around Pirelli, a lot of talk about the track. I know even Luis um, sort of questioned how they were able to pave over it and the asphalt and even got down to the the... The type of stones that were on there saying that they were so thin, unlike your usual gravel. This is now, Nunes gets nerdy, but um, these are the kind of stuff that I read behind the scenes, thanks to you guys. But what was your, now that it's all said and done, uh, what was your takeaway from it? Any issues there that you, you saw that probably should have been addressed or will be addressed if we're ever to, you know, have Istanbul there as a mainstay on the calendar?
1: Well, I think in an ideal world, you wouldn't race at a track two weeks after It's being resurfaced. It's not really a new thing. We've seen this a number of times that essentially what you've got is the bitumen, which is the bit that holds the stones together um, in tarmac. And uh, that just hasn't been given a chance to wear away. So you end up with this incredibly smooth surface which is, is very low grip whereas if you go and look at the road outside your house and you go and look at any other racetrack you'll probably see gaps between the individual stones and that's what creates the temperature in the tires and that's what creates the grip in a Formula One car so that was um yeah that, that, that was the issue but as I said in an ideal world 2020 is not an ideal world uh, Istanbul Park didn't know it was on the on, on on the calendar until about three months ago so the time it takes to then get the track ready. They felt that the track surface that was there, which apparently had been the same one that had been there since uh, when the track opened, wasn't good enough for F1 cars as well. So who knows how much complaints we would have had if they would raced on a very bumpy, broken up track surface. You know, potentially it could have been even worse. It could have put undue stress on the tyres that caused a failure or something like that. So um, that was the issue they faced. Now, when you look at it, all said and done, it's the same for everyone. So all the teams faced this challenge. Some adapted to it better. Some adapted to it worse. It looked like Mercedes were really struggling to adapt to it. Yet their direction ultimately won them the race because that's what gave Lewis this ability to push and, uh, and find pace towards the end of the race when conditions improved. So it's a real balancing act. And actually, I think, um, while I wouldn't recommend going around resurfacing race circuits just before we turn up, Um, I actually think it made for a very exciting race weekend. I mean, we went into qualifying not knowing who would be on pole position. I think very few people would have uh, predicted that Lance Stroll would get it. And then we went into the race really not knowing who was going to come out on top. Um, Again, you know, as we mentioned earlier, if you'd asked on lap 30, any of us, who do you think is going to win this race? Well, you know, we might have said like Lewis is closing in, but Racing Point is still leading it and they have the track position. And up to that point, that had been the key. So... Um, I think it actually in, in, at the end of it all made for a fantastic uh, weekend of racing and uh, yeah there shouldn't really be any complaints about it but um, I think in the future what do we learn from it well probably not to resurface the track so closely so close to a race and uh, in the case of Istanbul Park if we go back there well that track surface by then would have bedded in and would be a little bit weathered in and I think you won't see the same, same issues again certainly not on the same level
0: that was amazing how you broke that down. I'm just all the richer just for understanding that. But I know, I know they were saying that it was. I was smooth. about to say I
2: can't add. <laughs> I can't add to that. So.
0: I was. You could, I was going to say that you could tell that the track was like smooth, but almost too smooth, like Nate on Tinder. So well, it, it needs to. It needs to get a little rougher around the edges before <laughs> to be as most safer. But I suppose in the end, you know, it, it all worked out, so we could move on. Someone who was really smooth. Sergio Perez definitely have to go there and I mean we talk about him again week in week out and how it's still baffling that nobody's picked him up yet and you know he was even asked just if he can just go on people's doors and bang down and be like do you not see what I've done and he sort of like laughed it off but he must be wondering that um in his head like what more does he have to do because surely he added a lot Nate to his stock after today didn't he?
2: Yeah, massively. And um, I mentioned the Imola race, you know, he should have been on the podium there. So it's really good to see him on the podium and at such a crucial point as well. Um, You know, we still don't know what Red Bull are going to do with Albon, but Albon didn't have a great race again and Perez performing like he did. Um, I don't think, I think people at this point know what they're going to get with Perez. I think, you know, it wasn't like a performance like, Oh, that's what he can do. I think we already knew it, but it was nice that he gets that result in such a year that he's had and i've got to say with perez what i find really impressive with him is he's clearly quick clearly very good with the tires which we've spoken about time and time again but what i do really respect about him is that he has every right in that situation to be to be a bit unprofessional i think in you know just in just in terms of how he is with the media but he's he's completely the opposite of that you know he clearly has a really deep affection for that team and the people he works with and he's dealt with it very very well and um you can tell you know from the result today that he's a very popular person in that team so when you see somebody get a result like that it was clearly deserved this year um it was great to see and um hopefully we get perez on the grid next year because he deserves to be there and um i think if he's in a half decent car that won't be the last podium we see him have you know if he gets into a red, into a red bull you'd put money on him maybe being in the contention for a win at least once in a season so i think his talent deserves that i think perez has probably been one of the unluckiest guys in terms of the way his career has gone. Um, we spoke about it before, but yeah, he probably went to McLaren at the wrong time. Uh, he made that decision to move away from the Ferrari Driver Academy to make that move. And at the time, I think that probably was the right decision. In hindsight, you can say it was the wrong one. But again, you know, no one has hindsight when they make those calls. So it's, it, it would be a real shame if he's not on the, on the grid. And I think this is like the final kind of message of like, Perez has to be there next season. And um, I think there's a lot of drivers who... If they were on the grid, and Perez, what, um, a lot of drivers, if they went on the grid, and Perez was, would be pretty lucky to be in that situation, because I think he's better than a lot of the guys out there.
0: It is. It would be an absolute travesty if he's not (laughs) out there in a seat somewhere come next season. But Lawrence, that was one of the questions that he was um actually just asked right after. If he cannot just go and bang down Christian Horner's door and say, hey. I know, you know, I would be a good fit here. End of story. No shade, of course, at all to Alex Albon or anything. But um, because it feels like everyone's almost being linked with Red Bull now, given um, Albon's recent performances. But still, is there is there anything he cannot do? Because as Nate just says, he's such a smart driver. He's definitely got the talent. He brings in the sponsorships, too, as well from Mexico. He's literally like the perfect one. But even as Sergio said out there, sometimes, you know, your performances just don't feel like enough.
1: Yeah, it's it's a difficult one, isn't it? He's now fourth in the championship on, I think, 100 points. And that says an awful lot about how good he's been this year, having missed two races as well. And if you look at today's race, I know Red Bull won't make a decision based on a single race, and rightly so. Uh, but this does back up what we're talking about. If you look at the list of drivers who made zero errors today, on my list, I've basically got Hamilton, Perez, maybe Sainz. Uh, some of the drivers further down, we don't get to see all their race, but... Those are the only three I can think of who um, really nailed it today. You could probably make an argument for Stroll as well because uh, obviously it was strategy that let him down, but I feel like he he lost composure a bit after that. So, yeah, he, he's up there with, with the very best and he's, as the points show this year, he's been doing that race in, race out. And there's no doubt in my mind right now, and I don't believe anyone at Red Bull could say any different either, that purely on how they're performing this year, Perez is a better driver than Albon. And therefore, he's a much safer pair of hands to go into next year. He's a much better bet to score the points that they will need if they intend to challenge Mercedes next year. I don't think there's any argument about that. The only argument you could have is perhaps how good a long-term prospect is he compared to Albon. If Red Bull really still believe that talent is there, then if they can nurture it and get the best out of it, then... Albon can be a long-term player there, whereas, I guess, Perez, you could argue he's coming towards the end of his career. But even then, you know, I think if you offer Perez another six years in Formula One, he'd absolutely take it. And uh, on the basis of his um, results at the moment and on the basis of his performances at the moment, uh, he continue to be one of the, you know, top drivers, certainly a solid driver, uh, out there in Formula One. So I agree. You know, if it was down to me, it would be Verstappen and Perez at Red Bull and um, Albon and Gasly at Alpha Tauri. I, I think I said a couple of weeks ago that I put Perez in at Alpha Tauri and Albon at Red Bull. So you could do it that way around as well. But I think realistically, uh, that's not going to happen. So, yeah, if it's down to me, Perez and Verstappen uh, at Red Bull next year, no doubt. But, yeah, you know, I, I don't get to make the decision. <laughs>
0: thank goodness for that (laughs) life's hard enough and that is definitely a very tough decision to make but it is still something that we can't really um grasp that he still hasn't someone hasn't picked him up just yet for next season something else that we do find hard to grasp sometimes is that during our midweek podcast we get some Wild predictions in pit stop. And I mean, I know we have Nate's bald predictions, but this week or this last week, especially when we were looking ahead to the Turkish Grand Prix, we got some out there predictions so much so that we were laughing them off, probably even rolled our eyes. And I would like to say that we apologize for that because who would have thought that a couple of those predictions that said Sebastian Vettel would be on that podium actually came true so much so that we have (laughs) someone from amjad's his name that actually reached out to nate on twitter and he said that he had predicted on the 9th of november that vettel will get a podium and george russell gets in the points as he says points as in more than one unfortunately that didn't happen but what did happen was sebastian vettel did get on the point so we have to big up amjad because he said nate saunders recognize me so nate recognize him because Seb Vettel back where many believe he belongs, on the podium. Scuderia <laughs> yeah, F1 shock, says Sebastian Vettel podium. This is the second Seb Vettel podium prediction we're having. Guys, you've
2: got to give it up. You've just got to <laughs> give it up about Seb. Like I, I I, know people love him, but it's just not going to happen, is it? Like It would take something pretty special, and that's not going to happen year. this year.
1: But it's, yeah, sure. probably got a better chance next year, exactly. When he goes to Aston Martin, yeah, next year. that car is going to be probably more competitive than uh, the Ferrari this year, so...
2: I kind of laughed that off. I didn't think Vettel would be getting on the podium. Um, I, I mean, great result from Seb. I think you know we've we've always said that this year has been pretty difficult to watch. Uh, just to see him kind of just slipping further and further off the pace. Um, he was, uh, he got a bit lucky at the end because you know Leclerc went for went for second and ended up finishing fourth um, with Perez. But Vettel put himself in that position, so fair play to him. And um, yeah. I think Leclerc was still the the, the best performer in in a red car today. But again, you know, I think Vettel Vettel wasn't going to complain about that. Um, Nice for him to have a podium before he leaves. Uh, Yeah, pretty cool to see him back. And it it gave a nice moment afterwards. The first person to congratulate Lewis when he parked up was Vettel, which I think is quite fitting given that they're the two guys that have dominated this kind of post-Schumacher era, maybe minus Alonso, uh, who obviously wasn't around to, to do anything like that.
0: That's very true. It's um, absolutely brilliant. I almost, all those little fireworks towards the end definitely made the day already more exciting, especially because I was quite excited thinking Charlotte Claire was definitely going to get on that podium and I was already um, ready preparing a piece to big him up because he's been absolutely finding a way to outperform that car in and of itself and he's Truly an amazing driver, but Lawrence Seb Vettel back on the podium. Oh goodness. And then seeing him as well with Lewis Hamilton up there on the podium is it's something that race fans definitely miss seeing.
1: Yeah, I feel like we needed that before Seb left Ferrari because it's uh yeah. It's a difficult story, isn't it, that one, the the Seb and Ferrari one, because it showed so much promise early on in 2015 and he looked like he was gonna go there and win championships like his hero, Michael Schumacher, and it all seems so perfectly aligned. And then, of course, it's gone wrong over the years. So um, I think it was important for Seb and important for Ferrari to get get that last podium. And, you know, he had, he had a good race. Uh, I think Leclerc, as Nate said, was the better of the two Ferrari drivers over the majority of it, but did make a few mistakes. So uh, that's where Seb didn't. And for a driver who so often has made mistakes in recent years and so often has been so heavily criticised for it. It was a nice reminder that Seb's still capable of putting performances together. And um, I still feel that when he goes to Racing Point, which will become Aston Martin next year, it will actually be a much better environment for him. And I think this kind of performance that we saw today we'll probably see a lot more of because uh, he's, you know, the talent is still there. Drivers don't tend to lose... Uh, that raw talent but circumstances, teams uh, developments of cars can move away from what suits them and that can make them look pretty ordinary all of a sudden uh, now the very best adapt to whatever they've got but I think uh, in an environment of racing points they will be able to work that a little better to get what he wants from the car and it's a very different car as well so who knows he may just get in and it kind of clicks already so um, I'm really looking forward to that. And I think it was yeah, a little reminder that uh, as much as we're talking about Vettel replacing Perez, who is a guy we've just picked up, and I think we all believe deserves to remain in F1, uh, it's good to know that Vettel's still got it in him to uh, score podiums uh, when he gets the opportunity.
0: Definitely. Right. Well, I think that pretty much takes care of um, all the big headlines, guys. Any other honourable mentions? Because we know it has been a pretty event-filled <laughs> weekend.
1: Well, Max Verstappen was... Amazing to watch for the whole weekend, both for uh, good and bad. I, th- I found that a really interesting one because it seemed like he never really got his head around coming second in qualifying. Mm. And, um, you know, there was something that upset him so much. and I couldn't quite understand why. OK, he looked like the fastest driver throughout in the wet conditions and then didn't get it together in Q3 because of a tyre choice. And I can understand why that's frustrating. But I think it taught us a little bit about why Max in high pressure environments maybe isn't quite on the same level as Lewis yet. And I think, you know, we saw a very small glimpse of that. Here was an opportunity for Max to win it. I think if you'd asked most people at the start of the race, who's your money on realistically, they would have said Verstappen based on Red Bull's pace throughout and uh, throughout the weekend and Verstappen's, history of doing particularly well in wet conditions and yet it didn't come together. And part of that was down to frustration. His move on Perez, um, fairly early in the race was a a part of the circuit where, you know, you don't tend to overtake in normal circumstances and it was really difficult conditions out there. You know, it was wet offline and he ended up going off over the curb spun through 360 degrees and more. And that kind of ruined his race from that point onwards. And, it just seemed like there was this urgency to get things done, so early in the race. Whereas you look back at Lewis at that same point, you know, running whatever he was fifth or wherever, and he wasn't. That same urgency wasn't there because you know he had the confidence that if things go right, it will come to him. And it was a big indicator, I felt, of the difference between uh, Verstappen at the moment and Lewis. Now, there's no doubt Verstappen has the talent. And you show that with all those quick laps that you put in at various points of the weekend, but the kind of right mental approach, I think perhaps he's still lagging slightly behind Lewis. And I would absolutely love to see the two of them go head to head in a title battle. Fingers crossed it happens next year, because I feel like we'd see even more of that and we'd get, you know, proof. I I may be wrong. I'd love to be proved wrong on that and see Max kind of, you know, really rise to the occasion. But I think it would be absolute fireworks if we saw a situation where Max was in that position week in, week out, where the pressure's on and he's got to perform. And he's got to do it because he's so excited to watch, but so often he just makes that mistake, takes a step too far.
0: And mm. you know, it was also um, a challenging... Hey. Oh, Nate, go ahead.
2: Oh, go on. You go. I was just going to add a honourable mention, a dishonourable mention.
0: Dishonourable? Go on, add your dishonourable mention. I was just going to mention McLaren.
2: Oh, yeah. I was going to say science, and then I was going to mention Bottas and Latifi.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Do you want um, me to you up uh, <laughs> or do you want to just go straight I can through? jump in with science yeah I can jump in with science and then yeah you know. I was just going to go up with Carlos as well but go ahead
2: yeah I've got um one other honorable mention and Lawrence mentioned him earlier for being pretty uh faultless in the race and that was uh Carlos science really really good just strong performance and recently we've seen a lot of that from from science you know um started the season maybe on the back foot a bit but he's been pretty impressive um so fifth place today Uh, I think it was a superb, superb performance from him, you know, and we've we've spoken over and over again about has he made the right call, but it's nice to see him turning in some strong performances, obviously could have won at Monza, Um, but yeah, he's, I think he's also kind of separated himself a little bit from Norris in terms of performance recently, which at the start of the season wasn't the case, so he's kind of reclaimed that fight a little bit, uh, which has been nice to see.
0: And he had some interesting comments as well after saying um, how I suppose overall what was a challenging day for McLaren, he and Lando managed to uh, put it together and, and save the race in terms of their um, fight in the Constructors' Championship.
2: Yeah, because both guys had penalties, so they started much lower down than uh, they would have done where they qualified. Um, and yeah, I think it would have been fascinating to see McLaren in there, but you know, Renault really weren't anywhere in this race either, so for McLaren it was a big opportunity for them and they did manage to get some of those points back so pretty good and and that and that fight between all those midfield teams is still really fascinating so close closely poised that races like this are going to be key you know where teams pick up points or don't Um, so yeah you know McLaren I I suppose clawing back a little bit what they've lost before
0: all right well that pretty much brings us Um, before
2: we before we go on you said honorable mentions I want to I want to throw in a dishonorable mention
0: oh segment. Um, love this
2: (laughs) Well, the first one's pretty obvious and we've spoken before, but, and and I know, and there are reasons that Lawrence might be able to elaborate on it a bit better than me, but Bottas spun six times in that race, six times in one race. And he, he spun on the first corner. Um, and he did say, you know, once he, once he was out of the points, he kind of, I think he was a bit more aggressive through caution to the wind, which is fair enough, but still it's, I, I would argue that's one of the worst races I've seen from Bottas since he joined Mercedes, if not the worst one. Um, and for it to have come, as we're contrasting with Lewis winning the title, one of his best performances in a long time, it again just kind of shows you how you know. At the start of this weekend, we we ran a news news story on Jensen Button saying F1 needs Lewis to have a better teammate, and um, unfortunately, I think this was a good uh, advert for
1: that opinion. It's hard to defend three, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> I'll at least put out some of the facts around his race. Um, first corner was, of course, where it went wrong, and. That wasn't really his fault insofar as Daniel Ricciardo hit Esteban Ocon. We just talked about how Renault didn't have a particularly good race to only picked up one point. Uh, well, that largely was down to the start. So Ricciardo went into Ocon. Ocon spun in front of Valtteri Bottas. Bottas spun as well because if he didn't, he was going to hit Ocon and it may have been race over for both of them. Um, and so from that point onwards... As Nate mentioned, it was about him coming back and pushing hard and taking risks. One of those risks came at the end of lap one when he actually tangled with Ocon. They didn't make contact in the first corner incident, but they did at the end of the lap. And uh, that knocked off part of his front wing, which cost him a little bit of downforce, not enough to excuse what came later. But apparently it also damaged his steering. So his steering was off centre and he was basically turning into corners. And whereas we'd seen him throughout the uh, race weekend really catch some wonderful, beautiful arc in power slides every time it turns into a corner from that point onwards, the car would just snap. And the other issue you face once you spin once, and this is going to sound like a lame excuse, but it it is undoubtedly true. Every time you spin, uh, going back to that tyre temperature talk we had earlier, you lose all the tyre temperature because you tend to put your tyres on the wet surface. Obviously you lose momentum, uh, the car slows down, and that will drop the tyre temperatures massively. So in a car which was already struggling to get the tyre temperature it needed for so much of the race, Bottas couldn't do it because he had this problem with the handling. Every time he spun, tyre temperatures drop further, leads to another spin. And then at the end of it all, uh, he had blue flags uh, to move over for Lewis Hamilton, which interestingly he ignored for a number, well, I don't know about a number of laps, but certainly longer than he should have. Um, and uh, of course, once you're in the blue flag situation, you lose entire temperature constantly as well because you're moving offline and you're uh, slowing down. So I think those are the reasons why Botta struggled so much today. And it was a snowball effect of once things start to go wrong, they start to go horrendously wrong. Um, but if you look at his whole season, you know, it's not been great, has it? He's been close a number of times. And this is why I feel the whole argument around Bottas has become a little bit skewed is that I'm not sure there's that many drivers who would get as close to Lewis Hamilton over a single lap as Bottas does. And then once you're behind Lewis at the start of the race, what chance do you have of beating him? Again, I don't think there's many drivers that could do that, but yeah, it's it's become a bit of a trend. And from what started off looking like a relatively strong season for Valtteri, bits of bad luck will come into play. And now he's lost the championship with three races remaining, and obviously that's not really good enough um, when you look at the potential of some of the other drivers on the grid. So uh, yeah, I think there's absolutely um, something to be said for what Jensen Button said, what Nate said now. But there are also reasons. But we've been given, val- I've been given Valtteri this kind of these excuses for a while now. And he never quite proves me right (laughs) overall. So um, I think Nate's Nate's side of the argument probably wins at the end of the day.
0: Nate's been broken by Valtry already. He got broken a long time ago. I'm glad to see that Lawrence is still hanging on though. (laughs) I think Alex Albon broke Lawrence.
2: Lawrence is like the the legal defence team.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I I just want to put forward both sides of the argument. You don't have to listen to me. You don't have to agree with me. But I think just for the sake of balance, it's there, um, but yeah.
2: Well, one guy we almost certainly can agree on. Um, I just want to quickly mention before we wrap up is Latifi, who was horrendous on both days, both Saturday and Sunday. And um, yeah, we mentioned that Perez doesn't have a seat next year, and Holkenberg doesn't have a seat, etc. And um, Nicholas Latifi is actually, you know, he's a really nice guy when you speak to him. Mm. But um, I just don't think he's, you know, he's not cut out for F1, and he was so off the pace. I think, I think he was a lap off about 10 laps in. He was already nearly two laps down. Um, you know, he'd spun all over the place on Saturday. He spun all over the place on Sunday. Um, and yeah, I know that George Russell is really, you know, performing very well in that Williams, yeah. but it's always really frustrating when you see a seat being taken by somebody who you don't feel like is cut out for it. And especially as he's in there next year as well. Um, and yeah, maybe it's a backmarking team. So maybe people listen to this thinking, well, who cares, but <laughs> it's the seat that someone else could have, you know? So that was going to be my my second dishonorable mention.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree with that one. I think it's it's harder to argue. And, you know, whereas someone like Valtteri Bottas won GP3 and has shown glimpses of, of, of talent, uh, Latifi has shown to be a solid driver in Formula 2, but I felt it was never much more than that. You know, he finished second last year, but after however many years, four years or so, racing in Formula 2. So I feel like drivers like that and... By the looks of it, we have a another potential one like that coming in, in Nikita Mazepin, uh, who looks like he's going to buy his way into the Haas next year. Um, you know, th- these are great racing drivers. You know, you put them up against your average, uh, you know, guy in sports cars or whatever, and, and, and they would be very, very good. But Formula One, the level is just a little bit higher. And on days like today where, you know, a lot of it is down to raw talent as well, and Um, yeah, to give maybe Lance Stroll a bit of defence. I think that pole lap yesterday was a little bit down to raw talent. And often he forgets or doesn't get put enough effort into some of the fundamentals of other stuff, the wider things in Formula One. But yeah, someone like Latifi, I think, got a little bit exposed today. And, um, you know, we were talking just a few weeks ago about Perez potentially racing for Williams next year. And the talk was about him replacing Russell and not Latifi. And that's, again, where uh, there's this unfortunate uh, financial element in driver decisions among, among teams, especially as you go further down the grid uh, because it's a matter of survival. So, yeah, that's, that's an issue that Formula 1's lived with for a while. But um, what a shame it would be if we had Latifi and Mazepin on the grid next year and we didn't have Perez and Hülkenberg, say, or Perez and Albon, or Albon and Hülkenberg. We'll see how it pans out.
0: I will riot. (laughs) I'll riot if I have to. I'm determined to get Sergio Perez a seat somehow. If I have to form Nunes Racing Limited, then I will form Nunes Racing Limited with um, Nate and Lawrence's financial backing. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> good luck with that we you might know. have to have a pay driver <laughs> if, if that's the case because I don't have much money to bring see if, we might have to go to the old see if and maybe, uh, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe we should have both yeah then, wh- who knows that's the thing we wouldn't have the money for anyone imagine else
0: imagine that though if we, if we formed that and just did it with and had our two and had our team of Nico Hulkenberg and Sergio Perez and they could probably do the first year pro bono and then boom once they like start bombing it then we'll be amazing Hopefully. We'll see. (laughs) One can dream, right? That's exactly what Lewis Hamilton said. Don't you ever give up. And those were his lovely radio messages that we heard after he became the most, the joint most successful Formula One driver in terms of championships today, matching Michael Schumacher's record of seven. And that's going to wrap us up for today. That's all the action that we saw at Turkey and this Turkish Grand Prix. Like I said, we're still working on some pretty nice stuff coming up your way. Cause now we do have a bit of a break before Bahrain comes around, but we are also working on a Lewis Hamilton special. So make sure to keep your ears peeled for that one. But for now it's bye from us.